On Wednesday nights, when we start on Wednesday nights, uh, prayer meeting, we kind of always go through some praises. Um, and a lot of times those praises are for answered prayer. And it's really neat when you've prayed for something like three weeks ago that you come to a Wednesday night and somebody says, oh, that prayer has been answered. And a lot of times we don't even remember that we prayed for that prayer. But it's kind of neat that that happens. God hears these prayers. And so today, uh, we're going to look at a prayer that Jesus himself prayed. This is a prayer that Jesus took time. Uh, It's recorded in the book of John. John 17 is where we're going to be. And he prays for a lot of things here. But he prays for us in the process. And so we're going to look at that prayer of Jesus in John chapter 17. It's his longest recorded prayer in the Bible. And you may have heard of it. It's called the high priestly prayer sometimes, um, or the farewell prayer. And there are reasons for that. Jesus is praying for himself, and he's interceding with prayer for us, like a priest. And I'm just going to read you something here real quick out of Hebrews. In Hebrews chapter 7, this is talking about Jesus. And it's talking about the former priests, but now it's talking about Jesus here. It says, Now there have been many of those priests since death, prevented them from continuing in office. Talking about the Old Testament priests, they all died off. But because Jesus lives forever, he has a permanent priesthood. Therefore, he is able to save completely those who come to God through him, because he always lives to intercede for them. Such a high priest meets our needs. One who is holy, blameless, pure, set apart from sinners, exalted above the heavens. Unlike the other high priests, he does not need to offer sacrifices day after day for his own sins and then for the sins of the people. He sacrificed for their sins once for all when he offered himself. For the law appoints as high priests men who are weak, but the oath which came after the law appoints the Son who has been made perfect forever. The point of what we are saying is this. We do have a high priest who sat down at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heaven, who serves in the sanctuary, the true tabernacle set up by the Lord, not by man. And so that's the prayer we're going to hear today. We're going to hear a prayer from Jesus, and it touches on those things as he goes, as he's interceding for us as our high priest. And so a little context here in John chapter 17. This kind of falls after the Last Supper, right? They've, they've had the Last Supper, Judas has left the group to go out and betray Jesus, and they've not yet went to the Garden of Gethsemane. They haven't traveled across the hill to the Garden of Gethsemane, and that's where Jesus will be arrested. So none of that. Judas has left. They haven't went to the Garden of Gethsemane. This happens in between. And John, he's very detailed about these events. When he records these events, he's very detailed about them. You don't see this happening, or you didn't... uh, In the other Gospels, you don't see this amount of detail that John puts in here. And so he takes notice of this. He writes it down for us. And if you found uh, John 17, or you're still looking for it, if you go about three-quarters of the way through your Bible, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, that's where you'll find John. And then if you go to Acts, you've you've made it too far. But let's read John 17 together and talk about this a little bit. In John chapter 17, it says, After Jesus said this, he looked towards heaven and prayed, Father, the time has come. Glorify your Son, that your Son may glorify you. For you granted him authority over all people, that he might give eternal life to all those who have given him. 
Now this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. I have brought you glory on earth by completing the work you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory I had with you before the world began. I have revealed you to those whom you have gave me out of the world. They were yours. You gave them to me, and they have obeyed your word. Now they know that every... Now they know that everything you have given me comes from you, for I gave them the words you gave me, and they accepted them. They knew with certainty that I came from you, and they believed that you sent me. I pray for them. I'm not praying for the world, but for those who have given, you have given me, for they are yours. All I have is yours, and all you have is mine. And glory has come to me through them. I will remain in the world no longer, but they are still in the world, and I am coming to you, Holy Coming to you, Holy Father, protect them by the power of your name, the name you gave me, so that they may be one as we are one. While I was with them, I protected them, kept them safe by the name you gave me. None has been lost except the one doomed to destruction so that scripture would be fulfilled. I am coming to you now, but I say these things while I am still in the world so that they may have the full measure of my joy within them. I've given them your word and the world has hated them, for they are not of the world anymore than I am of the world." My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of it. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. For them I sanctify myself, that they may, too may be truly sanctified. My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one. Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, I am in you may they also be be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one. I in them and you in me, may they be brought to complete unity to let the world know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am and to see my glory, the glory you have given me because you loved me before the creation of the world. Righteous Father, though the world does not know you, I know you, and they know that you have sent me. I have made you known to them, and I will continue to make you known to them, known in order that the love you have for me may be in them, and that I myself may be in them. And that's supposed to take about three and a half minutes. <laughs> I don't know if anybody timed me, but it's supposed to be, if you read through that, about a three and a half minute prayer that Jesus Christ prays for believers. All right, so we're in John chapter 17, and... Verse 1 says, After Jesus said this, he looked toward heaven and prayed, Father, the time has come. Glorify your Son, that your Son may glorify you. And so, Father, glorify your Son, so that the Son can glorify the Father. What's going on here? It's a prayer, right? We said that. It's a conversation between two people, two beings, God. It's a conversation between God. God the Son and God the Father. And that's, what, that's the prayer. Uh, what is this glory? It says <clears throat> glorify your Son that your Son may glorify you. What, it, what is that? That glory is honor, praise, magnificence, dignity. That's what that glory is. It's, it's God the Father putting the position he deserves on God the Son and vice versa. Uh, giving themselves the honor and the glory. The time has come, and so we, we place this in a, in a context, right? After the Last Supper, 
before the Garden of Gethsemane. We know the cross is coming up. We've placed this in that context. The time has come for Jesus to redeem a people to himself, to save people from their sins at the cross. That's where we're at. And as ugly as that cross would be, it's God's plan, and that cross, that death, and that resurrection will bring glory to the Son and to the Father. That's why Jesus was here. That was the plan all along. In verse 2 here, we see, For you granted him authority over all people, that he might give eternal life to all those who have given him. Well, that's why Jesus is here, right? To bring us eternal life. The Father gave the Son authority over all people so Jesus could bestow eternal life on all that the Father gave him. We don't have eternal life without Jesus. You see, nothing... This, this, this work that Jesus is doing is not random chance. This isn't just something that off the cuff Jesus did. This plan had been for all eternity, and he was carrying it out for God's glory. And it's, it's the work that the Father and Son, and just as importantly, the Holy Spirit, working in the background, it's the work that is going to be done, heading to the cross, uh, showing his glory, gathering himself a people. In verse 3 there, it says, now this is eternal life. Well, so Jesus is here. He's started this prayer, a conversation between him and God. He's kind of stating things back to God, that you've given me these, these men, these disciples. I'm praying for them. I want them to know me as we know each other. And he talks about this thing called eternal life. Now, this is eternal life, right? That's something we like to talk about as Christians, eternal life. That's awesome, right? As Christians, we have eternal life. Jesus starts to talk about that. How, do you want a definition of eternal life? Well, here it is. It's actually very simple. He says that he might give eternal life to all those you've given. In verse 3, now this is eternal life that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. That's eternal life. If you know God and know Jesus Christ, you have eternal life. And so, that's the definition. And that's why, you know, when you think about people and, and knowing God, it talks about knowing God, lots of people have lots of gods with little g's right? Little G gods. Lots of people have those. This is talking about the big G God. This is talking about the real and true God. And that's why it must be revealed to us. Because left onto our own devices, we're going to make up a God. And so God the Father here and God the Son are going to reveal themselves to us to show us who the true God is. And that's Jesus' prayer. That's what he wants. And so he must be revealed to us, and we're going to see that in a few verses here. And so looking, continuing to look forward to the cross there, in verses 4 and 5, he says, I brought you glory on earth by completing the work you sent me to do. Jesus was here to save sinners, to bring glory to God. And now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory I had with you before the world began. So Jesus' work is done on this earth. And notice as, as we read that there, that the cross and the resurrection, right, haven't happened yet. We're not there yet. And yet Jesus speaks 
like the plan is already completed. It's because it is. He's not turning back from the cross. The plan was to go to the cross, and the plan of salvation was not going to change. Salvation of man was to bring glory to God through the Son, and nothing was going to stop it. When Jesus said it, it was done. It was time to go. It was, he was headed to that cross. Nothing was going to change that. And so on the cross, right, we then see Jesus saying, it is finished. The plan of salvation, right? And then we see the resurrection coming later. But he speaks as though it's already been done because he knows the will of the Father. He knows where he's going. And so Jesus asks to be with and in the glory of God the Father. He is going back to his rightful place with the Father. He was there before time and creation, and now he's asking the Father, I want to be where you are. I want to be back with your glory, right? It's, it's the Trinity. It's the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And so when you think about that, this, this prayer uh, and the focus of this prayer, this isn't about us. Right? Jesus is talking about his glory. He's talking about his Father's glory. This prayer is not, not about us. We tend to think we're pretty important. And we are, in a, in a sense, but this is about God. God the Father, God the Son, and their glory. We're going to be part of that, but it's only because of his grace and mercy. It's not because we're important in our own right, in our own selves. We only gain that through Jesus Christ and because of his grace and mercy. And so as we kind of pause here a little bit and think about this, it's amazing to think that God the Son, God the Son, prays to God the Father about us. As we move along, think about that. Think of who is involved here. God the Father and God the Son. It should humble us to think, that Jesus would think about us. Because right there in that section, he's, he's praying to God the Father for himself and about himself. But as we move on, he's going to start praying about us. Right? And so you have God, the Son, Jesus Christ, praying for sinners, praying for us, praying for his people. And we, as we move into verse 6 here, He's talking about the disciples, and he says in verse 6, I have revealed you to those who you have gave me out of this world. They were yours, you gave them to me, and they obeyed your word. Now they know that everything you have given comes from me, comes from you. Given me comes from you, sorry. And so Jesus has revealed himself to these men. We know them as 12 disciples. And at this point, it's 11, because we already said Judas has went to do his dirty work. He's left the group. Um, well, we're going to see Judas come up again later in this prayer, which is kind of sad and scary to think about. The one guy who's the betrayer is going to come up again in this prayer, and it's not going to be good. And so just keep that in mind. But Jesus is acknowledging to God, the Father, the plan for the eleven was accomplished. God gave the eleven to the Son, the Son And we know there was more disciples outside of this 11, but this is the group that we kind of picture as sitting around Jesus uh, at this meal. Uh, The the plan for the 11 was accomplished. God gave the 11 to the Son. The Son gave the message to the 11. 
The 11 disciples then believed who he was. They believed in Jesus and they obeyed. So did you get that? The disciples were given by the Father to the Son. The Son spoke the word of God to these disciples because he is the word, right? He is God and they believed. So to boil this down, Jesus is now praying. He switched. He's praying for himself. He's now praying for believers. He's praying for these men who believed in Jesus. And he's specifically sitting with, praying for these group of people that are around him. But as we move on, this prayer expands and it grows and it encompasses more and more as we move along. Something else I want, wanted you to think about this morning is, and, and I thought about it here as I was working on this, take notice that there are no mistakes here. There's no mistake God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit know who belong. So if we want this prayer, we want to try to apply this stuff. If we want this prayer to apply to us, we need to belong to Jesus. What did the disciples do? They accepted Jesus' words, had certainty in Jesus, and they believed who he was. Jesus, God the Son, the image of the invisible God, him who created all things, him who is before all things, spoke this prayer for believers. And those things, all those things that, that Jesus is, that's all from Colossians 1. If you jump to, go to Colossians 1 sometime, you'll see that. The image of the invisible God, the one who created all things, him who is before all things. All those things are used to describe Jesus. That's who's praying for these believers right now. Now, as we think about this, do you think God the Father hears the prayers of God the Son? Should, should yes, yes, <laughs> right? It, it, it should be a very resounding yes. It, it, you know, um, God the Father is going to hear the prayer of God the Son. Now the question becomes, do you want the prayer of God the Son to apply to you and me? Well, yeah. Well, how does that work? Then you need to believe in the Son, right? Like these disciples said, you need to believe in Jesus. Because look at verse 9. It says, I pray for them. I am not praying for the world, but for those you have given me, for they are yours. This high priestly prayer, farewell prayer, um, however you want to look at it, this is not a prayer for the world. It's kind of, it kind of reminds me of when we take communion, Right? Communion is for believers. And this prayer is not for the world. It's for the ones given to the Son by the Father. That's who this prayer is for. So you can be on two sides of this prayer. You can be on the side of the believers and the disciples, or you can be on the side of the world. But guess what? The world receives none of this prayer. This prayer is not for them. And that might sound exclusive, but it is. It is exclusive. It's only for those who believe. The world does not glorify God. When you look around in this world, this world does not glorify God. One day it will answer to him. One day all knees will bow to him, but they don't give him the glory that he's due. And we can see that all around us. Right? So there's, there's, a, there's a, a dividing line in this prayer. The believers, the disciples, and the world. Verse 10 there, it says, All I have is yours. 
all you have is mine, and glory has come to me through them. And so, do you see the inseparability? That's one thing I, I noticed in that verse, the inseparability of the Father and the Son, right? The Trinity, we, we know the Holy Spirit is working here too, but you have three divine persons, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, and one God. And Greg Strand taught us about this a couple Saturdays ago, if you were here, you, you heard this, that how this works. And actually, it's kind of worked out good for us this morning, because if you want to talk about the Trinity and how God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit work together, you can just flip over to the back of your bulletin and read the EFCA Statement of Faith, Article 1, about God. And it'll give you an idea of what we're talking about here. But Jesus says, in verse 10, that's how Jesus can say, all I have is yours and all you have is mine. He is God. He's God the Son. And so... Because Jesus is God the Son, and the Son is God, if you miss that point, if you miss the point that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, and he is God, you've missed the point of everything. And everything we believe falls apart. And so as we think about this prayer and who's praying it, this is not an ordinary man praying this prayer. Glory has come to the Son through the Father, because the disciples were given by the Father. This is God the Son praying the prayer to God the Father for his glory. And so as you think about this, if Jesus is praying a prayer about believers, about disciples, I want it to apply to me. I want this prayer to apply to me. And because you think about the power then, if you recognize who Jesus is, think about the power then, that is going with this prayer. It's unbelievable power is carried with this prayer. Um, And so let's continue to see what Jesus is asking for. Jesus is leaving. We see this in verse 11 and 12. I will remain in the world no longer, but they are still in the world, and I'm coming to you, Holy Father. Protect them by the power of your name, the name you gave me, so that they may be as one as we are one. While I was with them, I protected them, kept them safe by the name that you gave me. None has been lost except the one doomed to destruction so that scripture could be fulfilled. So Jesus is leaving. The cross is coming quickly. His resurrection, his ascension into heaven. By the time we get to the book of Acts, Jesus is back up in heaven. Jesus says he protected these disciples while he was on earth. And now Jesus prays for protection when he is gone. He prays this in his own name. The name of God. He says, it says, I lost my spot here a second. There it is. I will remain in the world no longer, but they are still in the world. I am coming to you. Holy Father, protect them by the power of your name, the name you gave me. He prays this in the power of his own name, the name of God, Jesus. Do you feel the weight of that? Jesus' name carries power. And so Jesus prays for protection. What does that mean? Does it mean that these disciples are going to go through life with no problems? Right? From from the time this prayer happens, they're going to cruise through life with no problems. Because Jesus is praying for protection. No, that's not what that means. Right? If we go to the book of Acts, we we see things get pretty rough for these disciples. But we also know that the word is spread. God's plan is moved and people were saved. So what it means is this, 
They were part of God's plan. When we think of this protection that Jesus prays on them, they were part of God's plan. They were part of his redemption plan. These guys were going to be redeemed at the cross. His plan was to glorify himself, glorify the Son. God's plan was to glorify himself, glorify his Son. His plan was to spread the word. Um, Nobody or nothing was going to stop that. And these men believed, and remember back at the beginning when we first started reading here, they have eternal life. And so when you think about a prayer of protection, how much more protection can you get than eternal life with Jesus? That's a pretty good life insurance policy. And that's what they had. And so there is protection there. It's the ultimate protection. And I think this is something we can grab onto here. We belong to Jesus. There is a plan. There is a purpose for us in God's will. And that's where Jesus wants us to be. He's praying for this protection. He wants us to be in the center of the, his, God's will. Um, and when we think about that, there's comfort and safety in knowing Jesus. Right? When we look at the stress and turmoil going on around us, Jesus here talking about his disciples, he prays for them that they would be protected. What do we have to fear? And yet, don't we live most of our life in fear of something, anything, all kinds of stuff, right? We, we just live in fear and we shouldn't be that way because Jesus himself prays for protection. <clears throat> so there's comfort and safety in knowing Jesus. Now, the opposite end of this is in verse 12. While I was with you, I protected them and kept them safe by the name you gave me. None has been lost except the one doomed to destruction so that scripture could be fulfilled. Well, this is where we run into Judas again. The one who has been lost, the one who has been doomed to destruction, that's Judas. The guy who went out to betray Jesus. There's no protection there. There's no safety there. But you know what? That doesn't happen to the believer. With the believer, with the believer in Christ... We are not lost. We are protected. We don't end up like Judas. And so that's the difference, right? It's, that, it's back to that thing. There's the believers and there's the world. This prayer is for believers. And so we need to back up just a little bit into verse 11. It says, I will remain in the world no longer, but they are still in the world. <clears throat> Protect them by the power of your name so that they may be one as we are one. So along with this prayer for protection, there's something else there. Did you catch it? Jesus asked for something very particular here. He says that they may be one as we are one. Well, God the Father and God the Son, are <laughs> they're God, right? They're, they're tight. Like you can't separate them. Got to be careful about how we say that, right? We don't want to say something about the Trinity that's not true, but, right, go back to our statement of faith. Three persons, one God. There's no separation there. And so that's what he wants. He wants us to have unity that we may be as one as they are one. So the prayer for protection is also a prayer for unity. Jesus asked that by the power of his name, the name above all names, for protection so they can be as one. They can be united. He and the Father are one, and it is by his name alone that the disciples and the church will be held together. 
If you take Jesus out of the equation, there is no church, right? And so the unity comes through the protection of Jesus Christ. That's how we, we hold things together. And I think this can be a warning. When we forget who Jesus is, when we forget the name of Jesus, we've kind of fallen out of this prayer. This prayer is not applying to us anymore. And so we're no longer part of it. That's not a place we want to be. We don't want to fall out of this place where we can have this prayer said about us. Jesus will hold the disciples together and the church together. He'll protect it in spite of whatever the world does, whatever the world can throw at it, whatever Satan can throw at it. And Jesus prayed for it. So there's no doubt about it. And so in verses 13 through 15, it says, I'm coming to you now, but I say these things while I'm still in the world so that, we may, so that they may have the full measure of my joy within them. I've given them your word and the world has hated them for they are not of this world any more than I am of the world. My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. Wow, wouldn't it be really easy and nice if God, Jesus said, you become a believer, gone up to heaven, pull you out of this world. It's not how it works. And Jesus knows how it works, right? And that's not how it works. He prays that they stay here. He prays that the disciples would hold together, that they would stay here in this world because they have a job to do. And so the disciples, as we read that, the disciples should take joy from this prayer, as we should, and because they're, they're there with Jesus. They hear it being prayed over them. Jesus is asking for joy for them. This prayer is founded on God the Son. It's unbreakable. Where does this joy come from? Well, it comes from the Son. That's where the joy comes from. Jesus says, my joy, it comes from him. He wants us to have it. And so as we think about what's going on here and us having to stay here and these disciples having to stay in this world, wouldn't it be nice to have a little bit of joy? Right? So if we're miserable, (laughs) right? If we're miserable, where do we need to go look for the joy? Jesus, right? And that's what he's praying for us. He wants us to have joy. Once again, that doesn't doesn't mean that every day is going to be a bright, sunny, blue sky day and everything works perfectly. But we can have joy because Jesus has joy and he's asking the Father to transfer that to us. And so maybe, you know, when we don't have joy, if we're missing joy in our lives, it's because we're missing Jesus in our lives. Maybe we strayed away from him, forgot that he prayed for us, right? Maybe forgot he's the son of God. Like I said, there's power in this prayer. And that joy that we need to get through every day comes from Jesus. In verse 33 in in chapter 16, just above this, he says, I have told you these things that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. So he never asks for us to be just swept out of this world. But what he asks for is that we can live in this world with some joy and some peace. That's his prayer. Things aren't going to be easy. The world hates them. Jesus says, Uh, I have given them your word, in verse 14, and the world has hated them. It's not going to be easy. The world hates them. The disciples, the world hates us. Might not see it, but it does. 
Because, why? Because of the Son. We believe in the Son. The world doesn't like the Son, doesn't like the Son of God. And so they're going to hate us. We don't belong here anymore. We're foreigners. We're strangers. We're aliens. Jesus says it back a couple chapters ago in chapter 15. Peter says it in 1 Peter. As Christians, as believers, as disciples, we don't belong here anymore. We're just here. We have been left here for a job, for a purpose. But we don't belong here. So let me ask you this question. So say you go to a country that doesn't want you and hates you, would you want somebody to pray for you? Right? Say you're a, say you're a missionary that goes to a country and they absolutely hate you being there. Do you think that missionary would like some prayer? Yeah, I would, right? I would like prayer. Well, think about this. This is Jesus doing that exact thing. He's sitting there praying to his father that we would have some joy and safety because the world's going to hate us. And he's asking the father to keep us. We live in a world that hates us. And it's not because of us but because of who we follow, because of Jesus. But take heart. Jesus prays for us. God the Son prays for us. He doesn't ask that the disciples are swept out of this world. We already said that. But he asks for protection from the evil one, from Satan, the one that prowls around looking for people to devour. That's back in First Peter. That's who's after us, Satan. Jesus doesn't ask that we're, we're you know, taken out. But Jesus makes this request because the disciples are his and his father will protect them. And there's a job in this world for the disciples to do and this prayer enables them to do it. So continuing with this thought in verse 16, it says, they are not of the world even as I am not of it. He continues with the same thought. We don't belong here. So we need the protection of God to keep us safe in a hostile world. And what we tend to do, or at least me, I can't speak for all of you, but what I tend to do is focus on the world. That's what I focus on. I focus on all the evil that saps the joy out of us, right? When we're not focused on Jesus, the world will suck the joy out of us. And so that's where we need, and that's what Jesus is asking. He doesn't want that to happen. He wants us to be in him, focused on him, and have his joy. That's what he's asking the Father for. And so that's what Jesus is praying here. Now, Jesus, doesn't, Jesus not only wants the disciples left here, but he asks that they stand out. In verse 17, it says, Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. For them I sanctify myself, that they too may be truly sanctified. So Jesus not only wants the disciples left here, but he asks that they stand out. Jesus prays that they are sanctified, set apart, made holy, that will make you stand out in a crowd. If, if you are made holy by Jesus Christ, you will stand out in a crowd. You will be different than the world. And so Jesus asks for that. He prays for that, that we would be sanctified, that we would be made holy, and in turn, we will stand out in the world. He doesn't want us to blend into the world. Jesus wants us to stand out from the world. Being sanctified is being different. And as Christians, that's who we are. We should be different. And we have an example, right? He didn't, 
we have an example. It's Jesus himself, verse 18 and 19. As you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. For them I sanctify myself, that they too may be truly sanctified. Jesus himself is the example. Right? He came into this world, and now he's sending the disciples out into the world. That's a daunting task. If you're a disciple, that's a daunting task to go out into the world. But Jesus here is praying for it, and we have his prayer. We have his word, and we can do it. He enables us through this prayer and these disciples that we can go out into the world and live like we're supposed to live, to be sanctified. And so Jesus' prayer for the disciples here in this section from 6 through 19, Jesus' prayer for the disciples is protection, unity through that protection, joy, and sanctification. Be holy, stand out. So this whole time, as we've been going through this, um, I've been kind of using interchangeably believers and disciples, right? Kind of using those, those words interchangeably. Um, Jesus back here was talking to the disciples. He's praying for the disciples. But I've been using the, the terms kind of interchangeably because I think the prayer for the disciples is also a prayer for us. And here's why. Look at verse 20. My prayer... Jesus' prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. Well, who's that? Right? Who is that? My prayer is not for them alone. Our title uh, is, that's our title for today. My prayer is not for them alone. Well, who else is it for? Who else is this prayer for? It's those believing through their message. Right? That's what it says. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. The there there is the disciples. Right? They had a message that they were supposed to take. What is the message? The message is the gospel. And so Jesus prays for these disciples. He sends them out with a message. And he's praying for now for those that hear the message. The prayer is not for them alone. I pray for those also who believe in me through their message. So who has believed the message? Hopefully us. Hopefully all of us have believed this message of Jesus Christ. Believers, we heard, we obeyed the word, and had certainty about who Jesus was, and we believed. Doesn't that sound a lot like the disciples in verse 8? Right? They heard, they obeyed, they had certainty about who Jesus was, and they believed it. So look at verse 21. That all of them may be one. Who's that? That's the church. That's us, again. Jesus is praying for us, the church. What is he praying for? Unity. Just like the Father and Son have unity. Just like the disciples were to have unity. We're to be grounded in God. Jesus is praying for missions, right? May they also be in us so that the world may believe. The church, us, need to be in Christ. The focus needs to be on God so that the world may believe that Jesus was sent by God. He doesn't pray for us to be in a bubble. He doesn't pray for us to be lone rangers. He doesn't pray for us to be divided. Or he doesn't pray for us to bring glory to ourselves. That's not the prayer. The prayer is that his word goes out, his son is glorified, and in turn he is glorified. That's the prayer. And that's why we're still here. That's our job. That's what we're to be doing. So he's praying for unity for each other and with himself and the Father so God's glory is shown as a witness to the world. 
Jesus tells the Father in verse 22, he says, I, I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they, they may be one as we are one. So Jesus tells the Father, he has given the believers his glory. We have worth now. As Christians, we have worth, we have value, we have honor. It's not of ourselves, but through Jesus. And that's what's going to unite us. It's his glory that unites us, that's bestowed upon us. The unification of the church, the unification of believers, the unification of Christians is because of Jesus Christ. And it's because of that relationship between God the Father and God the Son. And some of that glory then becomes bestowed upon us, like I said, not by anything we've done, but through Jesus Christ. And so this glory and unity is not for us, but to show the world Jesus. That's the love of Jesus. It says, I and them, and you and me, may they be brought to complete unity to let the world know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. And so Jesus' prayer in verse 24 is that we see him, and we have to see him. If we don't see Jesus, if we're missing that part, if we don't see Jesus for who he is, the Son of God, this prayer doesn't apply to us, and we're not saved. Right? We have to know who Jesus is. And that's what he's... The prayer is that we see him, and that we will be with him to see Jesus in his glory. He says, Father, I want those who you have given me to be with me where I am and to see my glory, the glory you have given me because you love me before the creation of the world. Remember what's going to happen. Jesus is praying this prayer because he's going to leave. He's going to go back to heaven. When he goes back to heaven, he will be back in the glory of his Father in heaven, the glory of the Son and the glory of the Father. They're going to be in the same place. Jesus wants us to be there too. I want those who you have given me to be with me where I am. Where is he going to be? He's in heaven. That's where he wants us to be. So, and to see my glory. He wants us to see himself, Jesus, in his full glory as God. That's what he's asking his Father for in this prayer. It says, the glory you've given me because you loved me before the creation of the world. That's Jesus' prayer for you. That's the prayer. He wants us to be with him and see his glory. Verses 25 and 26 to end up here. It says, Righteous Father, though the world does not know you, right, we talked about that, the world doesn't know God with a big G. They know lots of little gods. They don't know the real God. It says, Righteous Father, though the world does not know you, I know you, and they know that you have sent me. These people that have believed in Jesus Christ, Christians, the church, right? He says, they know me, and they know that you sent me. We know that Jesus was sent by God the Father. He says, I have made you known to them and will continue to make you known in order that the love you have for me may be in them and that I myself may be in them. So this prayer ends in glory with Jesus. And in some ways, this prayer never ends. God's word's eternal. This prayer's not for the world. It's for us as Christians. If you're a believer, this prayer is for you. It's that we know, that's the prayer that Jesus is asking, that we know Jesus and might know the love of God. That's what he wants for us. 
That's the prayer Jesus' people might know the love of God. Give the Father, give the Son glory. That's what we're here for. That's what we're to do. Show the world the glory of God through us. And he, the world's going to see that glory of God. And it's gonna, the world's going to see it through his protection, through his unity of his people, and through his sanctification. The world's going to look at a believer and say, wow, they get along with each other. They're going to look at a believer and say, wow, they have joy. They're going to look at a believer and say, wow, they're different. And guess what that's going to show? It's going to show God's glory to them, to the world. That's how it works. And so that's what we're to do. And we can grab hold of this prayer. This is a prayer for us. When you read this prayer, you can take it to the bank. It's for us because it's come from God the Son. And so let me ask you the question again. Do you think God the Father answers the prayers of God the Son? Yes. yes. <laughs> Thank you. Without a doubt, right? Without a doubt. This prayer is being and will be answered. There's no doubt about it. And so just as you think about it today and as things come up in life, just remember, Jesus, God the Son, prayed for you. The Son, God prayed for you. And so you can hold on to that and, like I said, take it to the bank.